0: Galatians chapter 5. This is going to be our last piece on this. This is part 6. I'm not going to do another part. We're going to have a different week next week. And I don't want to do this another week after. So bear with me to we get this finished this morning. Galatians chapter 5. But again, beginning to read from verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the lusts of the flesh, the flesh lusteth, pardon me, against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revellings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ's, notice, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his own word. Keep your Bible open, for we'll be referring not only to this chapter, but God willing, maybe also the next before we finish. Let's pray. Father, will you now settle us In your presence, settle our hearts. Take away every distracting thought, every opposing spirit. Lord, every part of our flesh that rebels against you, we ask you now to help us to overcome, overcome in the spirit, to overcome in the Lord. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. Take our lives. Make them holy thine. And we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in everyone who is here this morning and that we would die anew and afresh in our flesh and that Christ would be seen alone and glorified. Take your word and imprint it upon our minds and inscribe it within our hearts and we'll give you the glory, Lord Jesus, for you alone are worthy. Amen. Now, you know we have done five uh, parts to this all really to do with uh, the flesh, the works of the flesh. Works, plural. Fruit is singular, although there's nine parts. There's 17 mentioned of the flesh, and there's nine mentioned of the Spirit. And again, the, the Spirit, if you want, the Holy Spirit who is uh, resembles, is represented as a, a, a dove, if you want, in um in the Gospels, when Christ is baptized in the River Jordan. And, you know, the the flight feathers, the main flight feathers of a dove, I'm told, are nine on each wing. And you have nine gifts of the Spirit. And you have nine fruit, all being one. Self-same Spirit and the fruit, singular, but nine strands, if you want, of the Spirit. I'm told, and I think it's the rock dove especially, there are nine major Flight father, strange that, is it? Or is it just what God places in his word? And you know, a church, a man, a woman cannot, a man or a woman, they cannot fully, completely, or truly function like a bird with one wing. We have people who are striving, as it were, to produce the fruit of the Spirit, but really many of them go into the works of the flesh because they're trying so hard. But nevertheless, if they're trying to, and they're speaking they're preaching about the fruit of the Spirit all the time and what it is, and it's great, it's wonderful, but they leave out the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So they're trying to fly fully and completely with one wing. And there are those who are Pentecostals who are all about the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy, word of knowledge, and word of wisdom, tongues, interpretation, and so on. And they, they, they labor on it so much that they have no life-producing fruit and that bird can't fly either. The Holy Spirit will produce both to the yielded saint. The Holy Spirit will produce both to the yielded saint. Now, whenever we look at uh, verse 24 of our reading, Paul, after mentioning the works of the flesh, then the fruit of the Spirit, he says this, And they that are Christ's. He clarifies it. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Now remember, this doesn't mean Christians don't fail. This doesn't mean Christians do not make mistakes. The old man and the old woman, your flesh and mine, likes to resurrect him or herself every now and again. In fact, they would resurrect themselves to walk in it 24-7 if we allowed it. But we must, as it were, come to the cross where Christ has paid our debt, where Christ has shed his blood, where he has taken our sin and realise he's died for us. And as he is crucified on his cross for us, so we must be crucified in love toward him. You see, when the Lord Jesus tells us that a man and a woman are to take up their cross and follow me, he says, that is nothing to do with your salvation, but your sanctification. Nothing to do with your salvation, but your sanctification. When Christ died on the cross, looking at the cross of Christ, we see our salvation. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We see our salvation when we look to the cross of Christ. But when we take up our cross or crucify the flesh, as it were, by coming under the Word and walking in the Spirit, what we are saying is our cross, taking up our cross and following Christ, it means we are separate from him, for him. We are sanctified by him. We are following him. That can died. The old Ken, the old man, the old nature is put to death and I no longer live the way I used to. Even in our reading, we are told in verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. Notice, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now, people tend to feel that, oh, there's always a battle, and there is a battle goes on what you will and what God wills, what you think and what his word says. There is a battle goes on, but really the battle should be always won by his word and his spirit. But people tend to think here, well, uh, the, the flesh lusteth against our, the spirit or wars against it and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. It, it, it seems to be by many Christians, it's like, well, you know, my flesh is going this way and the spirit, you know, is pushing against me all the time. No, 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 no. That's in a sense. The idea here is that every time you, your own will, your own flesh, your own desires, your own lusts, your own wills, your own wants, yours and mine, Every time the old man, the old woman raises their head and decides, I'm going this direction, when God says we're going this direction, when we want to live this lifestyle, when God's word says, no, no, we're living this lifestyle, when we're wanting to hurt someone, when God says, love them. This is the war that goes on, but the Spirit stops the flesh. The flesh is no comparison to the Spirit of God, brothers and sisters. It's you and I who allow ourselves to be led by our own lusts. The Holy Spirit, if ye are Christ's, we're told, will not allow a Christian to live in an open course of sin. The Holy Spirit will not allow a Christian to live in a habitual course of sin. Verse 21. Paul says, I have also told you in time past. Here he's telling them again. Because they were chasing after the Judaism. They were going back to religion. They were they were bewitched by things. They were becoming sinful and prideful. They were becoming Uh, uh, fleshly, and not spiritual. And Paul says, I have also told you in time past, notice that they which do such things, the idea is not they who fall, for every one of us fall. Every one of us make mistakes. Every one of us get weak. Every one of us fall. But the idea here is which do such things, it's a perpetual motion. It's a continuing on. It means who are habitually, continually, never learning, never overcoming, never gaining over this. He says, and you live like that, you'll not inherit, have no part in the kingdom of God. So we have to look this morning, how's our hearts? When we sang this this morning, and I didn't pick those songs. Sarah picked those in the team. Where I I didn't realize we were going to be on the Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, my Savior, and know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. There's only cleansing in Christ. It's coming back to the cross when we know when we know that we have failed, when we know our lives have went wrong, when we know we have habitually for a period of time, yes, even backslidden in our hearts, when we know that we have allowed anger and bitterness to come into us, when we know that we have allowed hurt and anguish and stress to overrun us and overtake us and the curses of this life that have gripped hold of us and choked the very word in us, it's up to us, it's up to you, brother, and up to you, sister, to get back to Calvary, to get back to the cross, to see Christ dying in your place, and then you will know the blood still avails for all of our sins. So we looked at all of the works of the flesh. We started on the fruit of the Spirit. The first one was love, which was agape. And really, putting it in a nutshell, we'll we, we not do it uh, over again. The agape love is, can be termed as a love which is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. I'm going to say it again. Agape love is a love that is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. So you see all the wee babies this morning and your children. Well, mention just the wee babies and you see oh, oh, the, the, the parents and they look at them, me with mine also. and, uh, and But we, we have our children and our hearts, are, the love is called out of our hearts to them. They don't need to do anything. Our heart, love, is called out of our hearts to them. They just call it out. They don't say anything. They're just there. The heart is called out. Because they're so precious, they are the object that is loved. And that object is so precious, our heart just emanates love. That's the love of the Father for you. He placed his love on you in eternity, before you are even born, and he has never taken his love off you. It emanates from him, as it were, his agape love. And how could he show it to us but give his own son the own object of his love, the own, his own precious object set with reverence to my Savior? But his son, his only begotten, the darling of his own bosom, He gave him for us. And he says, see how my heart is called out for him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what he, he kneels into a tree for us. He allows him to be crucified. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Takes our sin and punishment and the wrath which was upon us. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of of us all. That's the father's heart. That's the Father's love for you. That he takes that which is the most precious to him, and that which was heaven's jewel. He has a nail do a tree for you. Father, do you still love me? I'm going through a hard time. Love you. I give heaven's best for you, daughter. I give heaven's best for you, son. I give my very heart for you. The most precious thing, the most precious one ever in all of eternity that I love. I give him for you. And I allowed them to nail him to a cross. And this was manifest, displayed, or exhibited the love of God for us. And Christ is nailed to the cross, John tells us. Now that is agape love. I've done it for you and me. Undeserving and unworthy. Sinners. Broad road to destruction, the road to hell. And he came to set us free. So that love, he says, love one another. Tall order, isn't it? The second one we looked at was joy. And it's Kara where we would get or uh for grace, and it's a, the same root word, and it means delight and gladness. And as I told you last week, happiness does. It, it means by chance. If you're happy, it's by. It's usually by chance. It's because you're going on a holiday. You feel better when you know you're getting out of the road for a week or so. You, you, if if you have just being paid and your money's in the bank and you know you're doing all right at the minute, then you know, you know you're feeling happier because then the stress levels are off you for circumstances. That's happiness. Happ means by chance. So whatever the outward exterior um, circumstances is, they may dictate our inward being, how we feel, what we think, how we get up in the morning and how we live our day. How things maybe in work have come and they've been, the, the boss hasn't been in a good form today and he affects you because then your joy goes. See, that's happiness. But here joy, it gives the idea of the product of the Holy Ghost within. And sometimes you're in your boots. Sometimes you're in your boots. You know, I was just mentioning the ailing about, you know, the loss of so many loved ones in our own family recently and the loss of my loved ones, and you have too. And, and there's a period in my life where I thought, I'm never getting out of this hole. I'm never, I'm, I'm in a deep ditch here. For a couple of years there, I think. God, I go. this is terrible. I was surrounded by it. Surrounded by death and the, the circumstances. And it. But somewhere deep down inside me, The Holy Ghost was just winging the word to me. It's not on your outward exterior. It's not in these circumstances. It's because, as you said, Eileen, this morning, we have the Lord. We have him. That's your joy, to know that he takes you by the hand and leads you through the valley of Baca. The psalmist says, passing through the valley of Baca, the valley of tears, He says, You're not staying in it. You're not living in it. It may seem longer than usual. It may seem darker than usual. But that valley says there's an end to it, and I'm bringing you out of it. Brothers and sisters, joy comes from the strength, the product of the Holy Ghost who produces it even in the midst of a storm. The old song says, With Christ in the vessel, we can smile. Storm. So the third one is peace. Peace. The word for peace is irene. And it means to bind together. To bind together. Peace binds together. So when the Spirit produces this peace, He binds together. Notice this one. It's peace with God but it's not peace with God for justification. I'm going to explain this in a minute. It's not peace with God, which we have in justification when we get saved, but peace of God in our hearts through sanctification. Peace of God, peace with God is justification. You know someone, they they turn around and they say, oh, well, they they didn't know the Lord and they they made a deathbed repentance. And and look, this can happen. You're better leaving a testimony and a witness behind you, but this can happen. And they say, oh, they made their peace with God. And whatever that means, it tends to be off the the, the thought that they had come to faith in Christ and we trust that that's what has happened. And some of my family have come like that too and I have to leave that with God. That's peace with God. Justification is that we are just as if we had never sinned, and that's it in a nutshell. So justification is peace with God, but this peace produced by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is peace off God, not with God. We already have peace with God. Peace off God is when we are sanctified, in other words, we're set apart, and we know we're walking in the Spirit. We know we're living according to the Word and it gives the idea of a tranquility of the heart and the mind. It's based on the believer's conscience being in right relationship with God. Note that. Well, I'm in right relationship with God and Christ. Yes, you are. Absolutely. But let me tell you something. Paul also tells us we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account every believer. Every believer. Every one of us. People say, if that's a Christian, I can't live my life like that. Listen, if your life is based, if your calling, if your salvation is based on a Christian, then it wasn't on Christ. Do you hear me? You can't blame Christians for pulling you down. Yeah, you can pull down, but I mean bringing you away from Christ. If your faith is in Christ, then you'll go on with Christ. For you who are in Christ have crucified the flesh. Our feelings. Oh, they hurt me. Look, we all get hurt, don't we? We try not to hurt one another. We should love one another. But it's human nature. as the flesh comes in. We need to crucify that man and woman. So do you, so do I. We all need to do that. But we cannot put the blame on others for causing us to fall away from Christ. It means here the believer is right with God in the sense they are walking before him. Their hearts and minds have been tranquilized. They are bound together at the cross through the blood and now in the Spirit. Turn with me briefly to 1 John chapter 3. Time is marching. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 20. Sorry. 1 John... give you the wrong, the wrong reference. One second. Yes, 1 John chapter 3. I was away in Jude. I was where the verses went. Uh, uh, and verse 20. I tell you what, let's go to verse uh, 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, notice, and shall assure our hearts before him. See the word there, assure it means our hearts will be persuaded. Our hearts will be tranquilized. That's one of the uh, the old a Greek scholars said, our hearts will be tranquilized by the truth. Now, I notice this. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Our hearts can condemn us because we haven't Prayed enough, and I advocate you praying, I advocate you worshipping, I advocate, I I would say, I I would, I would encourage you to do those things, so please don't get me wrong. I'm just giving you an example. Uh, Our hearts would sometimes cause us to work in the flesh because we're trying to be so good that we're afraid to look out of the side of our eyes, We're, we're afraid to, we're afraid to loosen as it were up a bit, we're afraid to praise because if we do, what if it's the flesh and it's not the Spirit of God? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And our hearts can condemn us. Lord, I've been trying to live my life the best I can, but I'm just not good enough. And look, none of us are good enough. But the idea here is if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. God's greater than your heart. God's greater than your failure. God's greater than all the things as a a believer crucifying the flesh and going on in him, wanting to do well in him, not walking in an open course of sin now. Not talking about that. Talking about those of us who are serving him in love, wanting to serve him, wanting him, desiring him, having a passion for Christ, yet we know we're not good enough, and we still feel condemned. It's our own flesh and ourselves condemn us. The devil may condemn us, but when we come before God and say, Lord, I can't, and I'm walking before you, but I just trust in your big heart. I trust in your heart of love. Notice, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God, The word for confidence gives the idea we have freedom of speech. You ever get, you go to pray for someone, and when you go to pray for them, the Lord brings someone up before you? Or you've sinned, and you know you've sinned wrong, and the Lord brings it up before you? Or you've done something, the Lord brings it up before you, and you're having the confidence in your heart, and you say, Lord... I know, I, I shouldn't have said that. Or I shouldn't have done that. Or I shouldn't have X, Y, or Z whenever you've done or been there. And you know, that that confidence is going. Well, at this place he's saying, see now, there's still power in the blood. See now, confess it unto him. And see now, leave it behind you. Move on with a tranquilized heart knowing you're right with him. And when you come before him, you have confidence Freedom of speech to talk to the King of Kings. That's the idea of it. And the word toward is face to face. When you come into the place of prayer, you're face to face with him. Do you realise that, brothers and sisters? When you and I are praying, we're not just on and you know the we make e learn prayer, and you know, I hear him hear him just doing the ritual. That's not face to face with God. It's when we get on our knees or we're standing or whatever we're doing, we're out walking, and God starts to become intimate with us. God starts to become intimate with us. God is close to us. And God gets so close to us, we are face to face with him. Face to face, we know we're touching heaven. We know we're in his presence. We know we have his ear. We know that we're before him. We know it, and God will bring something up. You know what? Just get it right with him. Put it behind you. Say, from here on in, Lord, you've tranquilized my heart to go on with you. Notice what it says. Whatsoever you ask, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. Here, you're told that if you mention the commandments of God, that you're a preacher of death. That's what some hyper-grace preachers will tell you. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit, keeping the fruit of the Spirit, is keeping the commandment. It's the fulfillment of it. That's what Paul is telling us in the book of Galatians. He says, if you and I can continually, habitually walk and produce the fruit of the Spirit, then we've kept the commandments. Now, we can't. We fail. So we do live under grace. But the idea of this is, he says, we will walk according to as the Spirit leads in his word. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, brothers and sisters, let's draw into this a little bit. There are so many places today, especially in the United States, but other places, and they're telling us we don't need to live before God. We don't need to try to be pleasing. We already are. And in a sense, positionally, that is true. But we are to walk in the Spirit, we are to live in the Spirit, and we are to walk according to the word, pleasing in His sight. It's a bit different than what you're hearing in many places. Does my life please you, Lord? And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Notice what he's saying. The two commandments, the ten commandments are wrapped into two. The man comes, Lord, Master, what is the first and great commandment? The Lord says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. He says, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, the first four commandments of the ten, the first four are between you and God. They go upward. The next six of the ten are between each other. You read them. They're between each other how God is set in Israel and how God is set in our nation here today, and we should be living by the Ten Commandments, how he sets even in our hearts as the church. That's why the Ten Commandments are very important, because those two commandments are encapsulating the whole ten. And it's mentioned again here that if we love the Lord Jesus then we're keeping his commandment that he gave us. And he that keeps his commandment, God's dwelling in him and he and God, and we'll love one another. So what we're, what he's saying here is, if you don't love your brother and your sister in the Lord, then you're deliberately breaking, habitually breaking his commandment. I don't like him. The Lord didn't ask you to like him. He told you to love him. I don't like her. The Lord didn't ask you to like her. He commanded you to love her. Commanded me. Let's go quickly because we're almost having to close here. The next one is long suffering. Long suffering speaks of steadfastness of the soul under provocation. It means patient endurance of wrong under ill treatment without showing anger or thoughts of revenge. Now, that's hard, isn't it? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The next one is gentleness. We're moving quickly. Galatians 5 and 22. Gentleness is goodness expressing itself in works and deeds. In other words, goodness in action. It speaks of the excellence of one's character. Now, here's the thing. If I, as the pastor here, I'm preaching to you on a Sunday morning and Sunday night, and Bible study on a Tuesday night or wherever else, and I'm here and, and I'm telling you, we have faith to pray and believe, we have faith to get through this. We have to love one another. Or if this is a, a, a and I'm preaching this and 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 in the middle of preaching this, I go home and I live like a devil behind closed doors with the curtains drawn or whatever. I I behave like an unsaved man when I'm out in the street. I speak like an unsaved man with cursings and swearings. And yet I'm in the pulpit here. Where's my character? It's an outward show of character. It's different at home. What is your character? Because character isn't what you are in this church. Character is what you are at home. That's character. Is character is your character shown at home whenever things come your way? Does everything go to the wall, including the plates or whatever? Does things come your go your way uh, 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 and, and come your way, and, and you uh, and your character just do acts just a pot as it were? Is a trial comes to so you to say, "Well, I'm just going to go out and enjoy myself and do X, Y, Z, and I'm going to live like a, an unsaved person." Is that your character? For if that's your character, then you're not saved. character isn't what we are when we have our Sunday best on. Whether you come in your jeans or whether you come in a suit, shirt, and tie, I don't care what way you come if you come. Character isn't what we wear and character isn't how we praise the Lord and hallelujah and even speak in other tongues and so on as Pentecostals. That's not your character. Character. Character is what you are when you're at home. Character is what you are when you're at work. Character is what you are when you're facing others. Character is what you are in private. That's your character. The thing is, God knows the character. He reads the character. He sees the character. Goodness speaks of the excellence of one's character see as christians let's press on to be be good and gentle not only here but at home gentleness and goodness are very similar goodness is gentleness with generosity david goglick said And George Swinnock, the old Puritan, says, that The course of thy life will speak more for thee than the discourse of thy lips. The course of thy life will speak more of thee than the discourse of thy lips. Your character will come through your flesh. And if the Holy Ghost character's in you, he'll come through your flesh, producing fruit. I remember... Daisy coming to the church. Glenda's dolly. He was struggling, and people going. People saying X, Y, Z, and he's not. He couldn't be a Christian. I'm sitting, saying to him, Desi. don't worry about them. Don't argue about them. Know what to do, Desi. Live your life, for your life will speak more than your words. He came to me one time. He says, "You're right." (laughs) He says. I've just been saying nothing to people all around who knew me. He says, and my life seems to be speaking more than all the words I argued with them. I said, well, that's good. He says, even those who never used to talk to me and used to pass me in the street, he says, are coming up and saying, what's happened to you, daddy? Seventhly, Faith. Faith in this case, does not refer to the faith that's exercised by the believer in prayer, but the faith and fidelity produced in the believer by the Holy Ghost, showing out the fruit of faithfulness. Showing faithfulness. See a man and woman who are faithful to the house of God, a man and woman who are faithful to the place of prayer, a man and woman who are faithful to the study of the Scriptures and the reading of the Scriptures. A man and woman who are faithful to the things of God, that is the Holy Ghost producing it in you. That's part of the product of the Holy Ghost. And that's this word faith. It shows a Christian's yielded heart to the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness must mean one is full of faith, faithful full of faith. Eighthly, we have meekness in Galatians 5.23. Meekness. Everybody thinks meekness is for someone to trample on you. See, once you show meekness, people mistake it for weakness. Meekness is not weakness. And it's not to be trampled on. Meekness is something completely different. Listen to this from Numbers chapter 12 and verse th- 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. See the word meek there, you know what it is? It's the word enav, and it means Moses was afflicted. What? And this affliction taught him he was pious Lowly and modest. That which Moses had been through, his afflictions and trials, made him weak and taught him humility. That's true meekness. And true meekness is not weakness. Here's what I have written meekness is mildness in dealing with others, meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is a strong purposeful spirit. Weakness is a fearful spirit without purpose. Meekness is strength in mildness and grace. Weakness is fear, needing mildness and grace from those who are meek. Those who are weak need the meek. Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the air. Temperance, we're almost finished, means self-control. A virtue of one who masters their own desires. He masters, she masters her passions sensually and sexually. A picture of an athlete who is set aside for training, told how to eat, when to eat, what to do, and how to train. They come under subjection, and they come out ready for the fight. That's the idea of temperance here or self-control. is the ninth and the last one, and that's what we should be striving for. Verse 23 says, Against such there is no law. In other words, this fulfills the requirements of the law. For our last few verses, just to read, Galatians chapter 6 says, Let's just go to verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Did you hear me? Did you hear the word of God? Whatever you sow, you'll reap. If you reap, Goodness, you'll receive goodness. If you reap badness, you'll receive badness. If you sow it, you're going to reap it. If you sow anger, you will reap anger. If you sow bitterness, you will reap bitterness. If you sow unforgiveness, you will reap unforgiveness. If you sow sin, you'll reap of your sin. It has consequences. Notice this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't give up, brothers and sisters. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good. Here's where we're sowing. Do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So whatever you're sowing, you're going to reap it. Can I ask you, what have you sowed this week? What have you sowed the last few days? Have you sowed the Word or your Word? What have you sowed? Have you sowed love or hate? Because that's what you're going to reap. If you plant an apple tree and an apple tree grows, what do you get hanging off apple trees? What do you get hanging off apple trees? What do you get? No, sore arms. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, apples, you're right. 'Cause that's what you planted, isn't it? That's what you sowed. That was a great answer, wasn't it? He's the only one that was brave enough for to say that. Well done. Let us start reaping sowing into one another's lives. Sowing in the spirit, sowing the word, sowing love, sowing help. And we'll reap if we faint not. God bless his word. We're not going to do another part. I was a bit longer this morning. I wanted to finish it. I didn't want to stretch it and do another part. Amen. Bless the Lord.